It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome to the Two Jacks, going to Australia and then all the way around the world with all the news and views from myself and Hong Kong Jack. Joining us from Hong Kong, as per usual. How are you, mate? Excellent. Excellent. A little bit of a delay there, mate. Uh, I hope you're not going to be swearing. And we seem to have a little bit of a delay, so I can I can mute you if you do. Uh, yeah, if yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. the need to burst into just uh, profanity, I'll be able to cut all that out. Um, well, well, how good your Cantonese is, I might just do it in Cantonese. <laughs> yes, I'm in a bit of strife there, I must say. I do have access to... A Canto uh, a translator who swears quite a lot in Cantonese, the wonderful Bruce Venables, um, and uh, he'd be able to translate for me, but that would take a little while. He does there like to a, swear uh, quite a lot a, in Cantonese. There was a T-shirt they sold, sold uh, uh, pallet loads of here a few years ago which just said, delay no more. Um, uh, but if you said it quickly with a slight Cantonese twinge, it was a, a fairly insulting term in, uh, in Canto. <laughs> Uh, well, the Bruce Venables will make a speech in Cantonese, mm. and you know you don't understand the words, but you know it's extremely obscene. Yeah, um, um, uh, he was he was a cover up here, wasn't he? He worked he worked uh, with the Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong Royal Constabulary, I think it was uh, called Royal Hong Kong Police. Royal Hong Kong Police, yes. Uh, after they'd had a bit of a corruption issue, Jack uh, found out in the first ICAC the model yes. of the New South Wales ICAC, where I think they had to get rid of about a third of the Hong Kong police force and uh, yeah. and then advertised for uh, for anyone around the world. And Bruce was a Tasmanian copper and uh, he ended up in uh, Hong Kong for a long time. I think he was yeah, there for it's a great, 10 years. It's a great story, that. We'll make a great movie someday. Um, He's written about it. it. He's written about it a fair bit. Uh, no doubt he, if uh, there are any film financiers out here with a couple of, well, about $10 million for the movie and give and sling, sling Bruce two, two mil, uh, you can do it. The, um, uh, they had to get had to um, abandon their idea of prosecuting all the bent coppers because there was just, just too, too many, many of them. them. That's, that's <laughs> they just, so they just, just sacked a third of them. Yeah. And, and that's how they responded. It was actually probably the smart way of going about it. Mm. Uh, get rid of it and rebuild. Now, speaking of which, Jack, a rebuilding of the monarchy, the House of Windsor's, has changed hands, and King Charles III has been coronated. Have you heard that verb before, Jack, coronated? Uh, I hadn't until about a week ago, um, <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure it's actually a verb. Um, it's uh, not I'm a the bit right old-fashioned this. He was crowned, like he they all crowned. have been, you know, for a thousand years, you know. Uh, coronated is a verb. Well, it, it, you can use it in a verb form, and it means someone wearing a crown. Yeah. Um, but it's not the process of coronation. That's a different thing. And of course, King Charles III had uh, the great uh, the great crown thrust upon his bonds uh, on uh, Saturday uh, evening our time. I think it was Saturday afternoon. It went on and on and on. I didn't watch it, Jack, because I'm a, I'm a I'm a hardcore Republican. Why would I want to watch that? 
Well, I went to a party at my local pub. It's sort of a it's a British gastro pub, I suppose you'd call it, um, and a very diverse crowd there. I was watching it with a a, a Japanese bird, an Nepalese bird, a, 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 a British Asian, um, and a few other people. And the best comment on, on the actual crowning the crowning moment was the only time the crowd went silent. Apart from that, it was just a pretty standard pub party, you know. But as they were putting the um, uh, the, the, the crowns on. One of the chaps says, oh, look, this is just typical of the patriarchy. The bloke gets the biggest hat. <laughs> well, Camilla's done extremely well to have a hat at all. Yes. Um, she was one of the most reviled <laughs> women in England for many, many years as the other woman in the marriage, but uh, all has been forgiven now, and she is no longer queen consort. I'm not quite sure how that works, to be honest. She is the queen. She is your queen, Jack. Yeah, um, uh, one of the uh, social media um, mavens told, um, explained to Piers Morgan, this makes her a side chick, the world's most successful side chick. And he, like me, said, what the, is a side chick? And the side chick apparently on social media is the, the woman who is the third party in a relationship and she hangs around until the bloke sees sense and comes back to her. Oh, there you go. So I didn't realise that. I was thinking about handbags. But anyway, um, <clears throat> we won't stay. We won't hang around there. I did notice one part of the ceremony, and I, it's not as if I watched this. I just saw this uh, in uh, in clips from, uh, from news services. But uh, there was this rather odd business uh, where uh, they put the shutters up and then the Archbishop of Canterbury goes uh, with, the, with the king uh, and something happens there, Jack. Something happens at that point. And then uh, the king, in this act of mysticism that would have probably uh, been met with cynicism in the Middle Ages, uh, has become a sort of you know closer to God than the rest of us. I think they anoint him with oil um, uh, while that situation is. Uh, one of the crowds suggested he might be having, he might have been having a quick slash because they're in the they're in the <laughs> cathedral a for a long time. Better get in the uh, bucket. Yeah, um, and um, uh, and um, my sister was asking me, you know, what would you do? Some of these people in there for four hours, and I said, oh, I reckon they'd be they'd be the, they'd be selling out of the deep ends, you know, the adult diapers around the corner. You know? Well, there's a there's a better way, Jack. Um, and someone with a profound urological experience as mine, you can actually um, uh, sort of set up a sort of a catheter and strap it to your leg. It means you have to insert the catheter into the tip of your penis and take it all the way to the bladder, Um, but uh, you can uh, sit there happily and uh, shoot out three or 400 mil and uh, no one's any the wiser. So uh, that does happen. There probably were a few with uh, wearing the kit. but, uh, yes, he is now our king, and uh, he's better than us, Jack. Uh, well, he always was. <laughs> I've said there's some really funny stuff in the coverage. The ABC copped a bit of a slapping because they took the opportunity. I noticed on Media Watch that uh, Paul Barry was doing the same. thought it was poor timing that, uh, that the Republic should be discussed. I did see Adam Spencer speak quite sensibly about it. Um, I guess the view was that this was not the right time. Adam Spencer just made the point that um, he thought uh, in, a, in, a, in an egalitarian, it's a great cliche about Australia that we are egalitarian, when clearly we're not, but um, uh, that uh, in an egalitarian society like Australia's uh, watching all this sort of 
foo for all uh, about uh, making someone uh, closer to God than the rest of us doesn't really run and maybe uh, it's time for a republic. But um, maybe the timing wasn't exactly there. I, I didn't have that objection to it. I watched a bit of that because there was no – the only AFL I get comes on the ABC Asia thing, and they were doing the, the coronation, so there was no games on. So I was hanging around the flat on Saturday afternoon. I, I, I whacked that on, um, and it was on in the background, and I just thought it was a bizarre thing to do if you're wanting people to watch the coronation on your TV channel – to spend two hours before the coronation starts I telling us what a view. terrible thing the monarchy is and it's just going to drive your viewers over to seven and seven and nine, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Look, a mate of mine, um, uh, Australian-born, the Chinese, actually born in Hong Kong, I should say, but uh, been living in Australia, Australian citizen for a very long time now. He was wanting to watch the Rabbitohs and the Roosters. He's a Roosters man and uh, he thought um, Channel 9 should have cut Cut, cut away from the coronation. And just play, and now we bring you uh, the Roosters v the Rabbitohs, uh, wherever they played, uh, SFS or wherever, wherever it was. Uh, and now we bring you that, which would have been lovely. I would, have, I would have wholeheartedly supported Channel Nine in doing that, but of course they stuck with the coronation, and uh, poor old. Uh, Bill uh, was uh, left to scream at the television. Oh no! Now the choir's singing <laughs> and missing out on his game of NRL. Yeah, uh, but we did see I, Jack. It, it seemed to be prominent Republicans. I am a Republican, by the way, and a prominent Republican. But I had very, very little to say about the process itself because I didn't watch it. You know, if you're a genuine Republican. You wouldn't watch this bloody palaver. But Peter Fitzsimon, he's all over it. He seemed to be just glued to the television. Yeah, I, I left uh, the party after a couple of hours and came home and flipped the tally on and sort of had the rest of it on the background and I hopped on Twitter and uh, and just have a look at who was watching it. And who did I find? Peter Fitzsimons. Paul Bongiorno. Yeah, Mike Carlton. something to say. He, he, he sort of said, oh, I've watched a bit of it. I've watched yeah. a bit of it. Jane Caro. Uh, Jane Caro came out as a royalist. Well, not quite. Well, and a deep admirer of the Royals. Yeah, and, and Quinton Dempster, he was, he was going nuts. So uh, I thought this was hilarious, you know. The only thing, I th the only explanation I could find was they were watching it to keep their disgust fresh. Yeah, look, uh, Quentin did dip into the mystery of the uh, – they put the, put the screens up. Uh, he did delve into it. Um, he was anointed with holy oil, according yes. to Quentin, behind the screen. Which does sound uh, a ve vegan holy oil in I the mean, case let's of this. Say odd. I'm a, I think it's a good thing that they put the shutters up, so we were spared yeah. the embarrassment of where that an oil, the where that oil was actually <laughs> placed on the royal body, where he was anointed. Um, but yes, they seemed, you know, the Republicans. I'm not quite sure they seem to be closet royalists a lot of them. Sitting around, I'm, I'm a Republican. Couldn't have Wouldn't you? Couldn't have you know paid me to watch it. Um, and uh, and there they all were queuing up and a little staggered. Don't they look good in their uniforms and all this sort of stuff, Jack? Yeah. It's probably fair to say. Uh, it must be said uh, that the whole, you know, the, the entire coronation party, the um, the uh, VIPs, etc., and everyone in their in their finery, probably be banned in te uh, Tennessee, Jack. They wouldn't be allowed to perform in public in Tennessee. Too much uh, dressing up. 
It could be, could be. Um, uh, I, no one does the pomp and ceremony quite like the Brits, so I quite enjoyed that. Even my British friends thought the re- spiritual aspect of it um, just should be kept quiet. Uh, it's these a days. bit weird. It's a bit yeah. weird. And let's face it, the Anglicans, I mean, they have no idea what they believe. If you actually sit no, them down and say, what do, you, what, what, what do you actually believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? Oh, God, that sounds a bit stretch, yeah, a bit no, of a stretch, what? you know. Uh, well, what about uh, the virgin birth, uh, the immaculate conception? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds a bit, 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 bit uh, a, a bit of gossip, perhaps something. Yeah, so they're not entirely sure what they believe in. There's a God somewhere. Is he a good one or a bad one? It's hard to tell. Meanwhile, Jack, just before we leave that, the, the best the best story I saw on it was from a guy called Robert Preston, and the critic, no idea who he is, but I, yeah, I really place. I really do like his writing. Um, here, in what he would Hugh Edwards described as a rare public appearance, was Prince Andrew wearing heavy robes under which we must assume he was blessedly free of perspiration. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lovely place, actually. Where was that? There was a Guardian. Oh, it was in the Critic. It was in the Critic, yes. In the Critic, yes. I had a good read of it. It was a very good piece and uh, a lovely thing. It's very easy to take the piss out of. I was going to have a crack on Friday, and then I thought, well, the papers actually invested quite a bit of time. They're doing actually. They actually did a special coronation edition on the Sunday, and I thought, well, it's actually not the right time to uh, to make to make fun of the royals, which is a terribly easy thing to do, of course, because let's face it, they're a family of maniacs, and and you wouldn't have them in the house. Well, I kind of like them. I, I kind of like them because they're a decent soap opera, and unlike the television soap operas, I haven't got to suspend disbelief. They're real. Well, they are sort of real. I mean, I I, I would have loved to have seen. Charles drive off in the car that's fueled by cheese. Uh, that's what I wanted to see. But no, they had, they had the carriage, which I think was built in Australia. There was this sort of tenuous. There were always the commentators, as I understand, were always looking for that tenuous link to Australia, because of course he is the king of Australia, and uh, Camilla is we the can, queen of we Australia. Can, we can too. thank we can thank Prime Minister Whitlam for that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's that. That all changed, and this is one of the um, one of the great soft sit things that uh, the Australia Act was later. That was in um, that was in eighty eight in Hawke's time, um, but um, we changed the name. It was Commonwealth of Australia uh, changed to just Australia, and so it was King of Australia, not the King of the Commonwealth of Australia. Is that is that have I got uh, that right? Yeah. Well, well, Goth made Queen Elizabeth the Queen of Australia, not just the you know um, the. Uh um, well, she the was Queen of Great Britain and the United Kingdom. Yeah, look, I mean, at some point, quite seriously, I mean, we won't have a long discussion about the Republic and, and where that all stands, but at some point now, it was always said, look, we can't talk about this until uh, Elizabeth II has, has gone. Well, she has gone now, so maybe uh, now that uh, King Charles III has been coronated uh, we can have a chat about uh, where Australia uh, wants to uh, wants to be seen how, how it wants to see itself in terms of uh, who, who should be its head of state I just I just say two quick things about that um, firstly I think Australia remains split three ways um, uh, monarchists uh, direct election Republicans and minimalist change Republicans and while that three-way split exists there's no way forward. And secondly, it really depends upon how Charles goes. His mother was, um, the late Queen, was a master at 
um, managing the separation of the monarchy from the state. Um, his record as Prince of Wales is pretty terrible in that regard. He was always wanting to interfere. If he starts doing that again, the push for Republic will gain momentum. Yeah, I can't see it, to be honest. Um, I, I really can't see that happening. Um, but look, the 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 Republic and the Australian Public Republic movement just isn't to finalise that, have this hybrid model now, which revolves around the popular election. It's very complicated. Uh, the, a popular election pop, uh, of of a president that must also be endorsed by a supermajority of uh, a joint sitting of the parliament. That's where they are at the moment, with each it, state it, it making has, their own recommendations. It has the worst aspects of both the alternatives. I, I've said I'll say I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I just don't know why don't, we don't make Jimmy Barnes president for life and just be done with it. Mm. All right, uh, the budget all happening tonight as we record this on the 9th of May. Uh, and it is, uh, uh, it will deliver a surplus, Jack. The first surplus since uh, they were saying 15 years, and I presume, therefore, that was a Wayne Swan surplus 2008, 2007, eight, and he'd only been treasurer for six months, or was it in fact Costello's 06, 07? I don't think Swan ever produced the surplus. Is my well, they my were saying that almost in the same breath. So yeah. I presume, therefore, it was the 0607 budget. Hand, well, well, the 0708 budget handed down in 07, May of 07, yeah. by Peter um, Costello. Uh, 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 is Jim Chalmers going to give a vote of thanks first up for uh, all the miners and farmers who've um, uh, provided the. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the surplus. Well, there's, um, there's full employment, Jack. More or less full employment. So that's that's where he's taking it. Yes, there 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 are sort of uh, they're pushing forward um, the taxation on the petroleum and gas industries. They're pushing forward those kind of super profits type royalties. So they so while they were supposed to kick in in three years' time, now they've been pushed forward. The mining companies, oh, Jesus Christ, they're in a panic and uh, saying, well, commentary about it has been saying, oh, no, now there might not be any expiration. I mean, if you see the profits these companies are making, you've got to say, that's probably not going to happen. Um, well, there's so- a bit of Christine, Christine Keeler about this. They would say that. Um, but um, I just think it's amusing that Jim Chalmers wanting to um, – uh, disinvest, if you like, from these kind of noxious industries like mining and fuel and all that sort of stuff, and they are the exact reason he's going to produce a surplus. Well, that's fine. But what, what I'm saying is, you know, we need to we need to tax mining companies properly for the resources, our resources, they extract from the soil or, 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 the, uh, the, basis of, or, or the base of the ocean. And, and we need to invest in them because they're going to provide for our future. Yeah, you can't just kick it into, you know, giving you a brief surplus before you spend it again. Mm. Um, that's the way it should, you know, mining super profits tax should be structured, that it creates a sort of super fund, a la, I believe, uh, Norway, Jack, mm. uh, who uh, now pay for, you know, free tertiary education, have all sorts of benefits to their citizenry that we don't have. Um, look, we'll know more about uh, where everything stands in terms of surplus. Uh, with uh, Chalmers has been everywhere <coughs> in the last uh, week uh, saying that there'll be some support for people and businesses uh, facing high energy prices in particular. 
um, it's likely that there will be some subsidies available to uh, to either taxpayers or individuals in some way and to businesses. And um, well, They've announced almost everything. Well, yeah, it's kind of a little bit – I get a little bit annoyed with these premature announcements of the budget, and the Treasurer's always do it, and, and there'll be a long line of ministers there too. Uh, sort of uh, talking about, oh, we can't tell you what's in the budget, but here's a bit of it. And and I get a bit annoyed about that. I think politically it's a bit fraught that you really just want to try and keep everything under your hat for as long as you can. Yeah, good news for you, mate. Um, um, They're they're going to allocate $737 million um, to stop you smoking or vaping. Well, that's a lot of money, and 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 uh, but I'll, I'll make good use of it. I'll, I promise. I'll, I'll have them knocked over. I'll have the durries knocked over by next June if someone gives me seven hundred and thirty-seven million. Yeah, that was all part of and, a vacant. And, and Carlton and Carlton will be in salary cap problems. Oh, again. look, I'll, I'll weigh in. A, I'll weigh in a few few uh, few mil to the club. No worry about that. They'll get sorted. Um, but. Um, uh, this is all part of the vaping ban, Jack, and, and a public information campaign. I know it's not only a list of things to talk about. I wrote a column about it on Thursday. It's effectively a prohibition on something that is widely uh, already you, already available in Australia and which there is a profound and intricate uh, black market already in existence. And it's just like you are throwing money away on actually something that is clinically proven in, in, in getting people to quit smoking. So it's one of the best tools, not the only one, one of the best tools of people who are long-term smokers to get off the durries. Yeah, and, I can't understand, uh, can't understand it at all, I've got to say. But, well, it's nicotine. You know, you, you're whacking a bit of nicotine. It's, it's a highly addictive <laughs> substance, Jack. Let me tell you, it's just like it's like heroin but not nearly as pleasant, you know. Um, and, and so when you're addicted to it, you need to be – you can't go cold turkey. It's like uh, if you're, you're an alcoholic and uh, you just say, well, I'll just, just stop drinking one day. It'll basically kill you. Uh, the, the withdrawals will kill you. Um, nicotine's not quite as bad as that. Um, but um, you do need to have some sort of nicotine supplement. I mean, do, people do get, do go cold turkey, but but uh, often, uh, more often than not, people who want to quit need a sort of nicotine supplement. So the idea, well, people don't really, un- I, don't, I, I, I know that people don't get vaping of a certain age group, um, but I, it, it sort of bugged me so much that this was just another form of prohibition when we've learned so much about the failures of prohibition, you know. Prohibition of alcohol, prohibition of uh, of drugs. Now, and I mentioned in the column, it's been a hundred years since we uh, since we banned cocaine in the country. So you'd like to think that you know you wouldn't see any cocaine around anymore. But no, uh, wherever not, you have not quite working out that way. Wherever you have investment bankers, you'll have cocaine. <laughs> And the rest, you know, cocaine pinches for possession in Sydney are about three or four times what they were five years ago. And that's just simple <laughs> possession pinches. And, you know, people have just made the wrong decisions and now they'll go through a court process and have their lives uh, thrown into turmoil from what we might call a moment of uh, indiscretion, Jack. And are they still all still all still inside the tofu curtain? So they're all in the inner western eastern suburbs. Or? Oh no no no! Mate, you should see the number of pinches in Double Bay, and that's all. That's that's all because of the way the lockdown has worked, and and lockdown's gone now. But it it you know the cross is dead. So the, the, 
they've just killed the cross. This is a multi-billion dollar tourist attraction, right? Mm. And they just killed it yes. uh, on a whim, really, on a mm. whim, on, on some bad behaviour from a couple of blokes king-hitting kids and killing them. Um, and, and then they just put this lockdown in. So what it created was one entertainment hub on the rock in the rocks, another one in Double Bay, and the other one in Newtown. So that's where the that's where the big um, the, the the big parties are on at any given time. Well, Different as, as you know, when I first moved to Sydney, I used to live in Potts Point, which is a, just a fancy name for the cross, really. Yes, um, and, next and, uh, and last time I was there, I stayed there in I think the last remaining hotel. All the hotels had been turned into apartment yeah. blocks. Yeah, yeah, and you talk to someone from Potts Point now, Jack, and they'll say, "We, oh God, no, we don't want the cross back." Yeah, okay. Um, and, and really has just destroyed. I mean, it's not as if, you know, the strip clubs and the X rated bookshops and all that sort of stuff are gone. It's the businesses that relied on that tourist trade. You know, the, the guy used to sell pizzas uh, on the corner there. They're all gone. All the nightclubs, pretty much, or well, they're all well and truly gone. Any sort of support ancillary sort of business around that, you know, high um, pedestrian traffic, all gone. And um, it's now you now you get a, a you know now you can go and buy a seven dollar cup of coffee around there. Yeah. I think uh, yeah, I think there's uh, only one pub left there now, and it's a I, shame. I used to sometimes catch the train into uh, into the office from Kings Cross Station, so you'd walk along um, uh, Dallinghurst Road there, and um, at sort of eight thirty in the morning, and there'd be a um, it was one family I'd see regularly. The uh, the dad and the daughter would be dropping the mum off um, uh, for her day of standing outside a strip club and uh, and taking in customers. And it was just a touching family scene as they would, you know, she'd be hoiking uh, up a skirt a little bit and making some adjustments and hopping out of the car. He would give the daughter a kiss goodbye and hop out to get, uh, uh, go and do her work uh, for a day in the strip club. Put a three-uni without any student loans to worry about. Um, the, the, when I first moved up to Sydney, I, one, of the, one of my sort of Sunday morning rituals was to was to get up a bit early, around about six or seven, and get down and uh, and, and maybe uh, grab uh, something from uh, McDonald's or somewhere else there for breakfast and just sit outside the bourbon and beefsteak and just watch the punch-ups <laughs> and about six o'clock in the morning. With, uh, it also had that fabulous news agents there that had all the um, uh, Melbourne papers in it, if you wanted them, across the road from the bourbon. But. Uh, right, yeah. But, look, there, there, there would always be some drunken idiot who'd walk out of the bourbon and, and, and he'd, he'd think, well, I'm far enough away from the bouncers now so I can give him a bit of lip. And it'd go on and go on and yeah. go on and then the bouncers go, oh, that's enough. I'm going to cross the road. And bang, it was on for young and old. You'd, you'd see one every 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 morning. About, about 6.30, 7.00. You'd find someone getting getting fucked outside the the, uh, the bourbon and beef stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, you know when they decided to renovate the bourbon, they couldn't find the doors. Um, oh, uh, it, because, it, because it hadn't been closed for twenty years, and <laughs> no one could remember where the big heavy front doors had been put. They eventually oh, found them in things, the basement. You know, there'd be a lot um, of things stuck under the under the basement there too. Because yeah, of course, it was it was run by a CIA operative. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and was a den of iniquity them, for many many years, you know. Very colourful place, them. just been totally destroyed. Um, there's a there's a movie on now about uh, Ibrahim um, on Paramount Plus, which I haven't seen. Uh, King of the Cross. Well, if you're a King of the Cross now, and it means you probably get a dollar off your off your yeah. latte. Um, uh, meanwhile, Jack, the Victorian Libs um, look. <laughs> 
they're just gluttons for punishment, aren't they? Speaking of all that sort of sordid red light business, um, they seem to uh, seem to be heavy on uh, on the masochism, don't they? Yeah. Um, uh, look, if you, yeah, I hate to kick a bloke when he's down, but um, uh, they are in a fair bit of trouble, and they just don't know how to stand up yet at the moment. So. Well, there's a motion to expel Moira Deeming from the party uh, this Friday, so three days' time. The word is they have the numbers to do that. This um, time? This time. They didn't last time. And Moira Deeming didn't help herself by threatening to sue the op- threatened to sue her, basically her party leader, her parliamentary party leader. Yeah. That's, that's not a good way to make friends, is it, Jack? I'm no, going to sue that, you, but I still it. like you. That was, um, if anything, I'm not sure they'll get the numbers, but if they do, it'll be because of that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that's, you know, there, there are four or five among these folks that we're not talking about. We're not talking about uh, a Jai Alai team. Well, well, we probably are in terms of uh, parliamentary membership in the Liberal Party in Victoria. It's not a big group is what I'm saying. Um, and uh, But there are four or five who are determined to take the party in what they call the, the right direction, which, as it turns out, is the centre direction, and Moira Deeming is deemed not to be one of those. But that shouldn't exclude her from the party. The fact that she's threatened to sue the Liberal Party and the leader of uh, the Liberal Party, the opposition leader, um, Pizzotto, John Pizzotto, uh, is probably good reason enough to uh, send her packing, I'd suggest. We'll see what happens on Friday, Jack. There's bound to be some pain along the way. Yep. Um, uh, the voice, Jack, we we've ha- haven't had a lot on the voice. We'd like to keep people informed, um, but uh, with the coronation, uh, the coronation, the coronated King uh, Charles III, it's sort of been um, a second-order issue uh, and due to, due to come back. I do notice that... Uh, um, the uh, uh, the leader, I'm not quite sure of his full title, Warren Mundine, the leader of the No campaign, has been on a bit of a well uh, whistle stop tour, um, and uh, there's uh, you know hasn't been a lot of action on that front just yet. No. Well, we'll keep people informed, but if it's just going to be just you know the uh, the No or Yes campaign just going on media tours, then we probably won't spend a lot of time on that. We will try and bring you a, a broader discussion of the issues that are available in a voice. And uh, Jack uh, uh, is of the belief that the way it's structured, it, it won't get the support of uh, all Australians or e- enough Australians to get it through. It needs a majority across the nation and <clears throat> it can lose as, uh, as as few as two states, but uh, a third state would see it knocked over regardless of the national majority. So I'll keep an eye on all of that. <clears throat> can you say not just the proposal, but the process, the way it's been gone about? And, and that's because I think the government um, is, I don't know, disinclined or too lazy to do the hard work of going out there and convincing people that it's a good idea. Well, I don't think it's the government. I mean, look, it, it is and it isn't the government's job. I mean, it, it really does depend on um, the the National Council to, to do a lot of the to do a lot of the heavy lifting there, um, and and it does need the support of government. Um, it must be said that the yes and no campaigns, neither of them are publicly funded, although there's some dispute about that. Um, 
and uh, uh, and and so really, um, uh, Albanese can uh, and others, Marcia Langton, etc., can can make their arguments, um, um, but it it is left up, I would think, to a, to a large degree, and the people like Noel Pearson, etc., to uh, to make the case. Uh, for the yes vote, I think. Noel's well, I'm, I'm not talking about the uh, a campaign. I'm talking about um, coming up with the right proposal. And the way to do that is to go out and have wide consult consultation with the whole community, not just five percent of it. No, fair enough. We'll keep uh, our listeners updated. Now, Jack, uh, Twitter follower Daggy Dad. That's we probably should get it. <laughs> Probably should get a new uh, handle there, Daggy. Uh, but Daggy Dad on Twitter gave uh, gave me really a bit of a uh, uh, a thrashing. He said, "You mentioned that Hong Kong Jack enjoys a May Day holiday. This is in last week's program when we recorded on the second of May, uh, and I said we don't do it in Australia because I think it's communist." Uh, and um, but he he was uh, out there reminding us that May Day is a thing in the Northern Territory and Queensland. We do apologise for that. Well, I apologise because I got that quite wrong. I thought there was no May Day celebrations. I mean, there often been union marches and things like that. I understand that, but I didn't know it was a public holiday in Queensland. I just did not know that at all. So silly me. Um, and it's not communism, of course. Uh, you don't have to have a day off if you don't want to. Um, but Daggy Dad also asked us um, if we could explain how modern polling works, uh, how um, polling is actually done these days. And Jack, have you ever been polled? Uh, once. And how did that work? Uh, it was a telephone call. Uh, I think I might have, might have been living in Oxford Street at the time. So, um, and was there a, it was a real person talking to you at one end? Sorry? Was there a real person talking to you at, the, at one end? Uh, well, if it was a robot, it was good enough to convince me. Yeah, because that's the way a, a lot of polling, modern polling working works now. And it's not so much robotic, but you're, you're responding to a, um, a, a, a an electronic recording of yeah. a voice. Generally, it's a female voice. And so this is the way um, polling by phone is conducted these days in what's considered to be the safest way. So there's three or the, the, the considered to be the, the best or most effective at getting close closest to uh, what people are thinking, those poll respondents are actually thinking. So there's, 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 there's different ways. You can do it face-to-face. You can, you know, sidle up to someone with a clipboard in your hand and start asking them questions and you'll get answers that way. And that would be the most unreliable way to do it, wouldn't it, Jack? And why is that? Uh, because it depends who's going to talk to you. Well, it, 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 it's that, but also the fact that someone who is in a poll on a face-to-face basis tends to tell, tell, tends to respond in a way that they think the person asking the question wants them to answer them, if that well, makes most sense. most people do. That I don't want to upset this very nice person with a clipboard in their hand, so I'm going to say something that I think that person will want me to say. So yeah, face-to-face people- polling... Um, Most people do that. I find it irresistible to um, uh, to test their boundaries. Well, you're going to take piss, so you're not going to give a <laughs> you're not going to give a real answer either. So face to face polling is known and as regarded as the least um, uh, the least uh, 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 the least accurate. Um, uh, 
there is also internet polling. Now, people might think internet polling is, is, is going to be bullshit because, um, you know, they've, they've sort of looked at this sort of Sky News surveys and, you know, press button, press button now or, or dial, dial uh, double one three five zero and give us a yes or a no. That stuff doesn't really work. <laughs> um, but there is very good internet polling and it, re- and it relates to getting a group of people um, that a polling company determines a, uh, uh, of pretty much open mind, sitting, sitting, you know, they're not rusted on in, in their views around p- political affiliation and they'll develop a group that might be about 1,500 strong uh, and then they'll continue to poll them. So they'll continue to put questions to them like The Voice, but there might be another question about the Republic or indeed the performance of our political leadership. And that group will tend to be reflective, they hope, of what the rest of Australia thinks. So, so the internet polling can be very good. Most of the phone polling that's done these days is done in a recorded uh, version, usually a female voice, um, and uh, and and it's obvious because you'll press one, two, three, four, or five uh, when uh, you're prompted to do so, and that takes away that human element. That's the that's the methodology uh, to take away the human element uh, and responding in a way that that you think the poll the polling company might want you to respond. It's still very much sort of. More magic than science. All the good pollsters are mathematical and statistical um, <coughs> experts, um, but they still make mistakes. It, the polling in Australia has been pretty good of late. I know we got a few wrong a few years ago, but it's been pretty good. The things that are always worth being very sceptical about uh, are individual seat polls where the numbers are so low that they just can't be relied upon. And we might remember that from Victoria. There was Dan Andrews' seat where, you know, he was going to lose his seat. You know, and we did a we did an exit poll of 200 people or we, we polled people before the election or during the pre-polling and we interviewed 300 people and it says that Dan Andrews is going to lose his seat. That is just junk and don't listen to it. So there you go, Daggy Dad. That, I, 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 I would just say that what I just say whatever the technique they're using, um, don't look at the raw numbers. Uh, the trend is your friend. Um, look at what the trend says because if they're using the same technique time and time again, what you want to find is a picture of which way. Yeah, the trend changes, change, yeah. yeah, changes, changes in attitudes, changes in affiliations, that sort of thing. It's oh, I'm just simply just to finish up on this for Daggy Dad's benefit and for others. Um, we have compulsory voting in this country. So polling, if as provided the methodology is right, polling can be a, a very good and accurate way of determining how, let's say, elections will be voted on. In the United States, in the UK, etc., different systems, not mandatory voting, uh, it can be, polling can be all over the shop because you just don't know who's going to turn up and vote on, the, on any given day. And so you'll, you'll see American polling, for example, has a confusion of Democrat registered voters, those likely to vote, uh, those, uh, uh, um, there are various categories, just basically holus bolus, you know, and, and knowing that, that even in the, the most participated in election in all history in the United States, the 2020 election, um, you still had a, a cohort of around about 40 million voters who didn't cast a ballot. Mm. All righty, on to the UK, Jack. 
Um, there was some, you wouldn't know it. No one really talked about it. Well, some did, uh, because uh, there were some local elections and the Tories got an absolute flogging. They did. And Rishi Sunak is said to be a pretty lucky man because um, uh, the, the King Charles III was coronated at the same time, meaning that uh, this was shoved off to uh, page 15 of uh, next to the cartoons and the crossword, Jack. Yeah, I had a look at it. Um, uh, I think the situation, how I would assess the outcome of the local elections is that the Tories did very, very badly. Um, the Lib Dems and Labor did quite well. Um, and the way it looks to me is that the electorate are pretty keen to get rid of the Tory government, but not all that keen to put Labor in. A, a bit like before um, the, the last federal election in Australia. Yeah. Well, well, that's how it goes, isn't it? You know, um, governments lose elections. Oppositions don't win them. That's that's rare and, and often... Um, uh, those sorts of uh, elections don't uh, <coughs> don't provide uh, where, where where a new a new uh, a new boss comes in uh, don't often lead to very good or long periods in government. Um, yeah, look, we we did see the you know uh, results coming in basically nine point lead to Labor. Uh, that's thirty-five percent of vote versus twenty-six in some of these electorates that went there. It seems like a lot. The red wall, which collapsed under uh, Johnson in uh, twenty nineteen, has now been rebuilt with a lot of conservative seats in that area going to going Labor's way. Jack, it, 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 as you say, it does look like not so much an embrace of <coughs> of Labor. Um, and uh, it, it looks like uh, we just want you guys out. There's a lot of anger in the UK at the moment. What we didn't see reported during the coronation was the fact that uh, there are some people going doing it pretty bloody tough over there. Um, food prices are through the roof. So just these basic um, living um, uh, requirements are, are, are becoming out, falling out of the reach of, of a lot of Brits. Uh, food and fuel prices. Food and fuel, food and energy, really causing some problems there. And we're not seeing the same sorts of problems in Germany, uh, in France. I mean, you're seeing you know, hikes in, in energy prices, but availability of food, Jack, um, uh, not, to, not, not to mention the price, but the, just the sheer availability of fresh fruit and vegetables is in, in the UK is a bit of an issue. Uh, well, I, I, I think that's a problem. That's, the, that's a problem in France and Germany as well. Well, not according, not according to French and Germans, Jack, who who, who delight in sending pics of their greengrocers uh, and their fruitologists uh, through to the Brits, saying, "Oh no, we got lots of tomatoes here. What's the matter with you well, guys?" Well, their their energy problems in Germany are much worse than the UK's. Um, I can say. Um, and even the German, I was reading De Waal the other day. Um, uh, even the German papers think that's the case. Um, so they're swings and roundabouts, but all all across the continent they're facing. Well, who's got the higher inflation rate, Jack? Who's, who's, I think the who's UK got the higher inflation the moment, rate? Yeah. Germany or the UK? Uh, the, the UK, but not by much. Oh, it's a fair bit, mate. They're in they're in double digits. Let me on. So you know, it, 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 there there are profound profound uh, uh, problems there. Um, 
CBIH, uh, good rose by tw- by 12.7% the 12 months to March 2023. Um, yeah, it, it, it's not good. Inflation is in double digits there. I'll just get the German figure. Um, I should know it off the top of my head, but we may as well satisfy our listeners that we're giving them the right thing. It's about four points shy, mate. Mm. It's about four points shy. Brexit is definitely having a, an effect, and <clears throat> and I'm not suggesting for a moment that all these things are related to Brexit, but you, you certainly do have profound consequences around the Ukraine conflict, um, uh, and particularly in energy prices. Um, but uh, but uh, there are supply issues that are causing the Brits that are causing issues around and price hikes uh, in food, in particular for the Brits, that are causing a lot of problems. Anyway, plenty of plenty of time to run on the next UK election. It's twenty twenty five, I think. Well, it can be twenty twenty four. Late can be twenty twenty five. It won't be um, early. Um, early 2025. Um, yeah, we'll see how that all pans out. Uh, I yeah, I think they're dead in, the, dead in the water, to be honest. Smell of death around the Tories there. Uh, you, you, in the Ukraine, Jack, the much-loved HIMARS, much-loved by the Ukrainians, much-despised by the Russian army, uh, have been uh, not as effective in recent times due to the Russians' ability to um, basically block the the GPS signals, Jack. Indeed. They're very interesting. HIMARS, of course, is a lovely little video put together by the Russian um, uh, Defence Ministry uh, uh, to the tune of uh, Exit uh, Sandman, uh, Metallica's uh, hit, um, showing HIMARS going off left, right and centre. They are a very profoundly useful weapon um, that GPS locate and and the, the, the version that the Ukrainians have from the United States and Germany uh, is designed to hit a target pinpoint from nine kilometres away to an accuracy of within one metre, provided the GPS isn't blocked. And the, and the Russians are, are doing this in this sort of cat and mouse game that's going on all the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a lot to play out there, yeah. Uh, well, we did notice that there have been some preliminary uh, discussions uh, initiated by China, Jack, uh, and the Ukrainians uh, perhaps being more positive about that than than uh, ever before. I did see a story, too, that Putin is developing an exit strategy, uh, developing, acknowledging defeat and, and would acknowledge defeat and move on. Um, so we may be reaching a, a little closer to a negotiated settlement than we were perhaps even two or three months ago. Yeah, a lot to play out. The, 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 bit, the, bit, of, the bit of news from that area that uh, struck me was um, from the distinguished British journalist Andrew Neil. Um, uh, he was quoting a source saying that India used to import 1% of its oil from Russia. Now it's 40%. Um, and... and um, they're the second largest buyer of Russian crude um, below world prices. India refines this crude, and what it what it can't refine, it happily sells back to uh, to Europe um, at a profit. Um, money laundering and, sounds like and, money laundering, Jack. And pa- Pakistan is um, uh, is moving to do the same thing. So um, this is sort of undermining the sanctions. 
I don't mind the sanctions. Yeah, I mean, that's been going on for a long time. This form of global or government, Indian government money laundering, and uh, I can only imagine uh, that they'd be copying a bit of pressure from the United States over that. But, um, yeah, not good stuff. Um, we also did see that the Wagner Group, I mean, we talked about this last week, that the Wagner Group, uh, Prigozhin, the terrible, terrible human being who runs that, um, uh, was compl- was saying that uh, that, that uh, the Wagner Group were going to pull out of Bakhmut if they weren't rearmed, and we thought at the time he might be due to have a little fall injury, Jack, when he said that might be a stumble out of a window or uh, something horrible happened to him. Um, but then he, he has said uh, over the weekend that uh, they have been resupplied and he has been assured by um, uh, the Russian Defence Department that uh, that they'll be able to keep them keep them uh, keep them in uh, keep them in bullets and and uh, and explodey things for a long period to come. Um, the big effect of this, Jack, is that Russia for num- for and it really doesn't matter in a sense how long this goes on for. Russia will be a pariah state in the world for ten to fifteen years plus. As a result of this, you know, so these sanctions they'll be in place for at least ten years, and a lot of smart Russian people will be turning around saying, you know, people near Putin, although they're the only people apparently has anywhere near him, and we're talking within forty minutes, forty meters on the long table, are just yes men. But people should be saying, you know, you know this is the consequence here. You are driving our economy into misery for a very, very long time. Yeah, the only qualifier I'd make to that is they'll be a prior <laughs> for part of the world, but not all of it. Well, if you can't access global markets, you're in strife. And 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 if three quarters of them are saying we won't deal with you, you are sanctioned, and if you and actually if you set foot on our territory, we'll arrest you. Um, there 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 are going to be some constraints in trade there. Yeah, well, I think we have to acknowledge that the two biggest countries in the world won't be in that, that won't be making them a prior. The China and the China or India won't. Um, well, I'm biggest, pretty confident about biggest that. Biggest economy, and well, if you're talking about biggest economies, where are we going? <laughs> We're going yeah, straight to the United States. I, I, I take your point, but you must qualify by saying there are some significant economies and significant countries who won't be joining in making Russia a prior. We know that. And you can throw in Brazil there as well. Uh, we, know, look, we know that. But what I'm saying is what Russia has got to sell and what it has got to import is going to be minimised by, by the fact that most of the world treats them as a pariah. And that's, that's the worst impact for Putin and Russia post-Putin is that, that economically it will be constrained. It basically old Cold War stuff, and and mm. where did it leave the where did it leave the Soviet economy? Um, uh, all all of the constraints on the that were placed on trade during the Cold War. Yeah, they could trade with China. Yeah, they could trade with and Brazil um, and India, uh, and they could trade. They could trade with. They could trade with Cuba. You know, and, and, and it just didn't. It didn't do. It didn't do them any good. And and what we're finding. Now, even more so, is that the only weapons Russia has got that are really effective in a very tired old-style military is <clears throat> they can't use. So the, the major investment has gone into missile technology and nuclear warheads, and they're the mm. things they can't use. Yeah. 
as if they used it, you know, Moscow be turned into a radioactive puddle in about 14 seconds. Um, electric vehicles, Jack, what are, you having? what are you talking about here? They're beautiful. What's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? <laughs> oh, well, there's always why something haven't you got one? Hmm? Why haven't you got one? Well, I haven't got another vehicle at all, you know. No, oh, probably shouldn't be talking about car ownership then, Jack. Yeah, uh, but electric car owners are losing thousands of years to de- to depreciation. This is in the UK, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, early adopters of electric vehicles have seen prices plummet by 39% between twenty and to 2020 and 2023, whereas your petrol car is holding its value pretty well. The argument, I would say, Jack, is that if you if you buy if you buy a car as an investment vehicle, it's not a very smart move. Um, people, you know, you, you lose these things. It's a service basically, uh, and uh, and you're going to lose money overall on the deal unless you buy some sort of collectible thing, uh, and then it might increase its value. But uh, Toyota Corollas, hybrids or otherwise. Um, are, uh, are, are, are not are not collectible, but here we see. You know, we're basically the, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that makes electric vehicles go is the is the stuff that actually starts depreciating really quickly, or, or brings about that depreciation of the vehicle. So it's the battery itself that's the problem. So now they're talking about Jack in terms of recharging, and you might have seen this. <coughs> The, re- the big recharging stations in the United States where they might have 30 recharging bowsers and only four of them will be available. They're actually talking about swapping batteries. So in, in you, you'll go into a place, you'll buy, you'll buy or lease or rent a battery and then you'll take it with you moving forward. That's all going to place a great deal of manufacturing pressure on lithium batteries, but happily, Jack, what do you know about lithium and where it's where where uh, it, it comes is? from? Australia. Um, how are you going to be able to swap out a three hundred pound battery? Well, they're talking about reducing the size of the batteries. We're not talking about here and now, Jack. I mean, I, I think you, you, know, you sort of. I know you're a little bit computer. Uh, you're a little bit computer illiterate, but I mean, the, the, the technology didn't end in 1987, mate. I mean, we, it still keeps going. So we're looking at all the time. They're looking at reducing the size of batteries. As we go, making them more powerful and reducing the size of them. You might remember your first mobile phone it would have been the size of a house brick. Good, good, good point in case, because that was the size of the battery rather than the, the stuff that made it made it uh, call people. So this is this is the way it will go, and, and you know this is one of the suggestions from um, uh, DeGrasse Tyson, for example, that people will just go to a place like a service station and replace their batteries. Plug them in oh, and off they go. Just took it up to your iPhone. That'll run it, mate. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, you know, don't 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 dismiss technology, mate. Not everything's not everything just sort of stopped in around about mm. 2000, 2005 and mm. you were comfortable with that, and that's no more advances, please. You know, we we, we can get through this stuff. Personally, I think the future of uh, motor vehicles, particularly heavy vehicles, is in. Um, uh, uh, hydrogen fuel cells. I think that's where it will go. Follow the Toyota company because they've been doing hybrids now for 30 years. Um, they're not electric vehicles. They've decided not to go down the electric vehicle path. They are going from uh, leapfrogging hybrids uh, to uh, hydrogen fuel cells. Um, <coughs> and I did notice a few little problems there, in Jack, in California. There's very small take-up of hydrogen vehicles 
in California where there are pressures on people to buy renewable stuff. And, and the price of hydrogen, funnily enough, has gone up. You've got to put about a, a, a kilogram of it into your fuel cell and uh, that can cost you as much as 24 bucks, as opposed to about 120 bucks at the Bowser. Now, Jack, in Australia, or the native, no, sorry, well, there is a, there is a concern around the voice about people who identify uh, as Indigenous, and that's it's actually uh, gone up. Uh, estimates of Aboriginal, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, estimates of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians uh, as at 30th June 2021 were uh, a million, just on a million, 984,000 people representing 3.2 eight percent of the total population, an increase of twenty three point two percent or one hundred and eighty five thousand people since um, the end of June twenty sixteen. So this is re- uh, this is reflecting what's happening in the United States where right. um, um, the Native American population um, has grown eighty six percent in ten years between twenty ten and twenty twenty. Now, what's the explanation for this? I mean, I, I, I imagine that there are a lot of people saying, oh, those people are falsely claiming Indigenous uh, status uh, in order to get some, perhaps some tax benefits and what have you. But it's really, a, it's a cultural shift, isn't it? Well, I don't know the answer to that. That is, is, is why, why I put it on the agenda for today. So I don't think we do know the answer to that. Well... I'm saying to you that there has been a cultural shift and that people are less embarrassed to say they are Indigenous. or that I think that's part of it, yes. Yeah. I think that's a big thing to say. Might I just say, Jack, that uh, as of uh, last Wednesday, I am a grandfather, and a very proud one, and I'm also uh, uh, a grandfather of, uh, of a little girl who is a little baby girl who is uh, part Indigenous. Um, uh, her father, <coughs> uh, my daughter's uh, partner, uh, has Indigenous blood. And uh, I said to my daughter, you know, I said, make sure you tick that box every single time. Uh, indigenous child, the... the the benefits in childcare alone are worth doing. Um, mm. And it's perfectly legit, you know. And so what I'm suggesting to you is that perhaps 10 years ago that that uh, Indigenous uh, status would not have been acknowledged by some parents anyway. Yeah? I think that's Yeah, I think sense. that's right. Mm. Um, uh, I have a little game I play with a, a pal. We, we, we sometimes watch the, um, the ABC panel shows together. Um, uh, and uh, and not not together, but with our text, tech, our phones in front of us, um, and there's invariably an indigenous person in, in on, on on the panel, um, and the game is to see who you can pick the indigenous person first, um, uh, and sometimes they make it very easy by wearing great big hoop earrings with the Aboriginal flag on them, but um, that when they don't do that, it's a little bit harder, uh, and that's where we're getting now. We're we're getting to the point where we have people who say, look, I'm Indigenous, I'm a proud whatever woman, um, and there's no problem. You always know because they're always going to tell you, but uh, without them telling you, you wouldn't know. Um, and, I don't, and I wonder where that, where that takes us in the end. Well, look, what we've got. So, you, so you'll end up with a legal definition. 
there's a legal definition for this, and it is, you know, dripping with sort of race issues and all sorts of things, but there is a legal definition. Now, outside of that, the Bureau of Statistics doesn't, you know, doesn't require people to provide proof, but the, the, the legal definition of um, uh, Indigenous status is a, a, a grandparent and that you are accepted by the community. So I think there's two ways of looking at that. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that is essentially the legal definition of it. This is similar so to what this box. definition came from. It was used in a high court case. Can't remember the name of the case, um, but it essentially came from from two places. It's a combination of two things. One they use in Canada, and one they use in North America. And, and what I'm suggesting is that the North American experience is this hasn't been all that effective. Yeah, I, look, I, I mean, if you're thinking about people scamming it, I, I just don't, I don't buy it. But, um, but uh, I think well, what but we, we know there are some people scamming it because they're oh, being yeah, caught. But they'll, they'll, they'll always, they'll always will be, yes, and, and, right. and they're not necessarily a growing, a growing list of that number. I probably shouldn't have said that there are, you know, there are particular benefits from being indigenous in terms of chalky, hmm. and uh, my daughter's explained all that to me. Uh, and uh, and it would reduce their costs in terms of childcare, and you know go for it if the government's throwing money away, do it. But but I think overall we are looking at uh, a much more um, uh, a, a, a pride driven identification with in- indigenous status in this country. So I think that's where the numbers are swelling. Um, but uh, yeah, look, someone will always be around to roar it. Um, but there is a legal definition that won't find expression. In a census, um, uh, because uh, you know people fill out, fill out whatever they're going to fill out in the census, um, and hopefully most people are genuine. But we also know that some people aren't. In the states, Jack uh, Tallahassee RDS is he is he going to put his hand up finally, Jack? Yeah, I think he'll put his hand up um, in the next couple of weeks. You keep saying, you keep telling me how well he's going, and, and, and I keep reading everywhere how badly he's going. Uh, well, he's in front of Biden in the polls. Yeah, he's ahead of Biden in the polls and president, <laughs> presidential election, you know, 18 months away. Um, that doesn't mean a whole lot. That's probably just saying we don't want Joe Biden as president, which may well end up be the way, the way it goes. But, um, but all of that stuff, he's got so much baggage, it's hard to believe. I mean, he's, he's, being, he's being sued by the by Disney World, Jack. I don't think that's a problem, to be quite honest. I think it's a huge problem because I mean, I mean, who, who attacks Disneyland? It shows a, such a profound lack of judgment. Uh, uh, that he would that he would do that. A much beloved and actually Florida's biggest employer. Um, a much beloved institution in the United States. I mean, I just think that that just smacks of culture war stuff that he seems obsessed by, and he's not being driven by you know sort of by, by the sort of national leadership requirements uh, of him. I I actually think, and and he spent. Well, we, we were reported about how badly he went in Europe where he was described in various business meetings in the UK as being low wattage and looking bored. And and then he, then when he got home, he ran around trying to find, uh, trying to find people to uh, endorse him and uh, he couldn't, Jack, in Florida. Yeah, well, he's, uh, he's going really well in the states that are going to decide the presidential election. If he can beat Trump, 
uh, and then in, in the Republican nomination, I think you'll be the president. Um, and I think the, I think the Democrats are playing a high risk game. They've gone all in on Joe Biden. It's none of their um, business, Jack. You know they can they can they can they can say, well, we look, we want to we we, we want to fight Trump or we want to fight DeSantis. It's it's just not their it's it's, it's out of their hands. Yeah, yeah, but their their only pathway to victory for a Joe Biden victory is if Trump's the nominee, in my view. Well, let me explain to you what might happen if uh, during a primary for the Republicans, Jack, and a hard fought primary between RDS and Trump. What do you think is going to happen to the Republican Party? Do you think there'll be, you know, they'll just be able to dust themselves off from that and move on? I mean, there's a very real prospect that that party will split and splinter uh, around the primary. With with DeSantis as this kind of, I think he's uh, Ivy League educated, perhaps traditional Republican in some senses, up against Trump and the Marga Brigade. You know, how's that going? There's there's no way that ends well. Yeah, well, my view is that the Democrats are in a lot more trouble than Republicans right now, because Joe is looking. Joe is looking worse. Incumbency is everything. Incumbency is everything, and incumbency is nearly better than that. And and while Biden not be might not be popular, have you seen his approval ratings lately, Jack? By the way, thirty six percent, the lowest in eighty years. Thirty six percent where. I mean, in the, in the throw, me, throw me the RCP up because uh, the yeah. RCP up has got his, his, his got him up from 42 to 44. I think it was the Washington Post this week said he was, and they ranked it as the lowest approval rating for any president in 80 years. I think he's up just a couple of points, Jack. I'm not sure what the, the, that might be a particular poll, but I think if we're looking at polling average, he's not going that badly compared to even Obama. Uh, in his sort of second term phase, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, look, lot of lot of lot of stuff to be run here. But DeSantis, if he if he becomes obsessed with this culture war stuff, I think Trump will just kick him to death. Uh, and um, and really, he's going to. I mean, everyone's. <laughs> this, this is the other part of the problem, Jack. He can't get endorsed, or people won't endorse him because um, uh, because if they endorse him, they upset Trump. And and uh, and that becomes a real problem for him. So it'll be interesting. There will, there will to see. be a preference cascade when it looks like he's the winner. Um, I don't think he's losing the culture wars. I think, um, on the contrary, I think the the progressive end of the Democrat Party is on the losing end of most of the culture war debates. Um, did you see the books that have been banned? Did you see the books that have been banned from schools in Florida, Jack? Have, have you seen the list of them? Just let me finish. Have a look at the Washington Post poll this week on um, on the trans issues, and you'll find a majority of Americans, a very clear majority of Americans. This is the Washington Post, I might add. Um, uh, suggest uh, the majority of Americans, a clear majority, support the actions that people like DeSantis have taken. Um, the Democrats are losing that issue very. You've seen the, I just, I, I, I presume you're finished now. Have you seen? Have you seen the 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 the, um, the banned book list in various counties in Florida, Jack? I have, and I can tell you that the just have a look at the poll. They are losing that issue. The Democrats. Berenstein Bears has been banned from public from from school libraries. The Berenstein Bears. You remember them when you were a kid, Jack? Even in New Jersey, a majority and grossly of offensive to children, too too un, too too unsafe. I mean, well, you, what it tells you is that these guys are going to play these stupid culture war things to death. But at the core of it is. They mistrust children 
right? They do not trust children to make to make them to, to make good decisions when they become adults. That's what the fear is. This is why people like DeSantis exist in the American political system because they fear youth. They fear young people coming forward and fighting against them. So they like to keep them dumb. That's the that's the business, right? And all this stuff about trans stuff. I mean, why on earth would we want to discriminate against a group of people who are already heavily discriminated against? I mean, I, I just don't buy this sort of it's just a culture war argument. We've just seen it in Australia now too where you've got drag queen shows being banned because Nazis are making threats uh, of turning up and, 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 and actuating violence in, in, in essentially a group of children, in amongst a group of children. I mean, these things are being directly imported. Well, what do you think the basis of all of this stuff is? I mean, I don't want to get into ESG right now, which is another one of your obsessions, but but when we talk about ESG, when I looked at ESG, you just think, you know, the, the reaction against it is just another culture, dismal culture war battlefield of no moment, of no moment whatsoever. I mean, you know, if, if we, we will talk about ESG later, I, I assure you, not today. But BlackRock, for example, they fund more coal mines than any other any other private investment company in the world. Um, so the the idea that they've gone green and forgotten how to make money and all this sort of stuff, it really is just culture war stuff, and it bothers me that you get sucked into it every time. I don't think I'm getting sucked into yeah, it. It is a sucking. I'm telling you. It's, well, it, well, it's, well, that's, that's, that's it's your It's been manipulated view. through news services. It's been manipulated through opinion columns. There's a lot of money from fossil fuel companies that, that, that basically spend their time. They don't actually attack the company. They attack the CEO. And there's something a bit wrong about that because the CEO is Jewish, like Soros is Jewish and like Bloomberg is Jewish too. So there's something a bit unpleasant about all of that. Um, <clears throat> but it is, it is driven by people who want you to think a certain way. And that, and that is that big investment companies don't want to, uh, don't, 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 have all gone green and, and they're all just throwing money, throwing money out of a truck. Uh, and, and making things, they're actually blaming. They're actually blaming um, uh, BlackRock for um, for the inflation rate in the United States, for the high cost of energy in the United States. You haven't States. heard me say it has that. basically no no uh, no factual basis whatsoever. No, you haven't heard, you haven't heard me say any of this. Well, you were talking about ESG. You were talking about it last yes, week, I Jack. Agree. I said, I, you tell I, me, I, you tell me which one of the major four banks in Australia. With ESG, with ESG, um, uh, with ESG principles around their investments, you tell me which one of them are losing money. Well, I'm not talking about Australia. I'm talking about a worldwide investment thing, and the companies that are chasing positive ESG investments are doing worse than the companies who aren't. Or like BlackRock companies, like BlackRock. The second BlackRock is the BlackRock's the biggest. The second biggest company, Vanguard, has abandoned the ESG um, uh, process. Well, BlackRock's looking to clarify it, Jack, and the and the groups that lobby against them um, <coughs> have have sort of said, "Oh, we've taken four billion dollars away from their investment portfolios because uh, the state of Mississippi, the state of Louisiana, the state of uh, I think South Carolina have cut." 
contracts being provided by BlackRock. So they lost $4 billion there. At the same time, BlackRock, from um, uh, from public institutional investment through their, through BlackRock, have raised over $280 billion. I mean, it, in the end, it's just a nonsense. It's a kind of... It's an exploration of the Bud Light boycott all over again. You know that that's that's just just taking it into high finance. It's all a nonsense. BlackRock will try and tell you that they're green when they're not. That's the first thing that you know they're selling their green credentials, but they don't. But but they don't really act green. I mean, they know how to make money because they, you know they've got a ten trillion dollar fund. They know As how do to make Vanguard money. know how to make money, and they've gone a different way, and we'll see how it pans out. Anyway, yeah, it, it doesn't, I mean, it, 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 when you say they've gone a different way, what have they done? Have they sacked everybody from their ESG departments? Have they? Have they, they just? Have they, have, they, they, have, have they stopped growing growing uh, vegetables? Have they? What have they done? They have you know? stopped using the um, uh, what do they call them? The uh, ESG uh, index. Um, we we get an approval index from the ESG funds. They stopped using those. I, I, I'm not even sure what that means. I mean, you, you, big, you're telling big, me big that they're stopping. In, no, no, what you need to what you need to find to prove this is where they stop investing, where they stop investing money, and that and that that is why ESG is just complete utter nonsense. The major okay. investment right. the major investors are, we'll are not green. They're pretending to be green, and then there's this reaction from fossil fuel, basically pressure groups who say this guy's a Jew and he's trying to uh, he's trying to Davos the whole world. That, I mean, this that's how unpleasant it is. All right, moving on. Um, Turkey will have this is huge election coming for the world uh, on uh, five days from now. Turkey will elect a new parliament and a new president. And after 20 years in power, the incumbent president, uh, Erdogan, is not the clear favourite. Uh, and there's even talk, Jack, he might pull a Trump and say, I don't accept the, the results of the election. We will see. Um, well, this is much more dangerous than anything happened in the United States, I can tell you. Well, yeah, that's debatable. But, yes, it is huge. Um, and, uh, and it is just five days away. If Erdogan goes badly and polling, etc., and sentiment, the general understanding of sentiment, cannot be discarded just how important the earthquake response was, which was appalling. Uh, a lot of Turks very, very angry. A lot of Turkish people very, very angry uh, with the current administration. We'll see how that goes in five days, Jack. Yeah, um, he's... His opponent has managed to cobble together um, uh, an alliance from sort of right across the political political spectrum, his main opponent. Um, and if he can pull it off, it'll be quite some victory. And whether he can make that stick if he does pull it off will be even more interesting. Yeah, one suspects he's a man who takes bad news very badly, Jack. So mm. we will see. We will he see. He did manage to pull a million people uh, to the old, to the old Istanbul air. airport the other day, I noticed. A very, very big crowd indeed, mm. um, uh, Erdogan. Uh, on that, I think it's the same day, Jack. Uh, Thailand Thailand uh, will, will have an election as well. You probably know a little bit more about this than I do. Um, uh, Al Jazeera is reporting that uh, the May 14 election will determine 
uh, Thailand's political and foreign policy over the next few years. Uh, the current leader, uh, under the current leader, uh, Prayuth, um, uh, Thailand has moved closer to China, abstained on the United Nations resolution condemning Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And opinion polls show uh, the 69-year-old Prime Minister trailing far behind behind his younger rivals. And it looks like we might have a bit of a shift there, Jack. Heard anything? Uh, not much. Um, it's a little bit hard to work out what's happening in Thailand until after it's happened. <laughs> it's probably a fair, fair summary of, of things. Um, it's a beautiful country and it should do better. Is what is, is, is I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say. Um, it's also a country that uh, its political uh, leadership must acknowledge uh, the power of the military. Otherwise, there'll be all sorts of trouble. They wasn't so long back they'd have a coup every second Wednesday. Yeah, um, uh, we'll just have, just have to wait and see um, uh, who firstly who wins, and then what effect that has on the country. And how the military accepts it all, yeah. Yes. Meanwhile... Well, that's that's part of how much effect it'll have on the country. Yeah, yeah indeed. And, of course, it's a constitutional monarchy too, Jack, so uh, it all depends how the king, who's almost godlike, sta- has almost godlike status there. Um, more, well, they do more, have, more than they the do. recently coronated King Charles III. Far more. They do still enforce the rules of lesser majesty um, in Thailand. Meanwhile, Jack, will will the people of Chile, will the Chileans make up their bloody minds? Because now they've got a far right, right, have won an emphatic victory in a vote to select the committee that will rewrite its dictatorship-era constitution, which is something all Chileans want. But when they had a constitution put to them by, I guess, a progressive um, left-dominated group, uh, they rejected it in spades. Um, so now they've got they've elected a far right group to come on board, take over that committee, uh, and start issuing um, uh, a, a new constitution, Jack. So you've got to you've got to ask yourself, what on earth is going on over there? Yeah, well, it seems to swing backwards and forwards all the time. Yeah, make up your minds, Chile. Make up your minds. Make up your minds what what you want to do. And South Africa solved all their energy problems, Jack, by just saying, can you please turn everything on? Yeah, um, the, the, the court has, in fact, ordered the uh, Minister for Public Enterprises to, to provide power to public institutions when they're having one of their brownouts, when they're having one of their um, grid failures. What's he supposed to do, Jack? Rub a couple of sticks together? What's he supposed to do? No, that, that means they're supposed to provide generators. Ah, and I presumably the diesel to run them. Okay. Well, that's going to be interesting in itself. So, so the South African High Court has said to the relevant minister, his name is Pravin Gordon, um, if there's a brownout, you've got to subsidise certain institutions. I presume uh, hospitals, etc., et hospitals, et yeah. yes, um, uh, public buildings, etc. Uh, provide adequate care, security, education, so schools and universities as well. Uh, the spokesperson for the president said that the ruling was, however, very likely to be appealed. Interestingly enough there, Jack, they're saying we're not going to do this. Uh, we have significant concerns about the judgment and its impact on the stability of the grid and the negative effect on the fiscus, the spokesperson says. The fiscus, Jack, that's an interesting term that he's throwing up there. But yeah, uh, that it, means it, public it, spending, doesn't it? 
It's how much cash we got hidden behind the couch cushions. <laughs> it's actually saying we can't afford all these jennies and uh, and the diesel to make them go. Meanwhile, Jack, a bit of good news there. Sri Lanka, we've been following uh, for a long time now, and their terrible trials, their terrible trials, economic trials, largely uh, self-inflicted um, by a, a really poor, a really poor leadership uh, that has now been thrown out, hurled out. Uh, Hundred thousand visitors per month uh, for at last for, for the last four months in Sri Lanka. So that beautiful tourist economy seems to at least be kicking back, and I guess people would be looking at it as one of those great budget locations. Yeah, and um, they've been getting a, a fair bit of uh, assistance from uh, two of the big Middle East airlines, Emirates and Qatar, um, who are who are running um, a good deals to get there from the Middle East. Um, uh, so, uh, good luck to them in Sri Lanka, and and it would be one of those places where budget travellers can go, so you know, go and enjoy this beautiful island, uh, some of the most beautiful beaches in the world, trekking, all that sort of uh, eco tourism, um, and uh, and not have to fork out um, a huge amounts of money to do so. Indeed, you can be up in the hills with a nice twenty-degree climate and bend back down on the beach in no time at all. Mm, beautiful place. We must get along, Jack. For when, uh, the, when the Australians are having a tour there, It'd be a good time to be in the country, I reckon. Um, Jack, uh, we'll start off with the Premier League this week. Um, uh, Man City are on top of the ladder with a with a game in hand. Um, they look to have. Uh, well, Arsenal seem to have. Um, they're still in it, but it's not likely. Basically, they now have to wait for Man City to fall over, which doesn't look very likely because uh, Man City are in the Champions League and also the FA Cup. They could easily pull the trifecta this year, Jack. Yeah, it gets a little bit harder now for Man City in this sense is that they've got some tough away games coming up and at the same time they're playing Champions League and the FA yeah, Cup final. FA Cup, um, yeah. So... Um, so the, the trifecta's there for them, and they're good enough. Yeah. They are good enough. They are a brilliant side. It just, just gets hard to pull all three off at the one time, that's all. It does, yeah. And Arsenal Arsenal are desperately unlucky to be kicked out of uh, uh, the uh, Europa Championship, which leads into the Champions. Um, desperately unlucky to lose that in a penalty um, um, kickoff. Um, but uh, and you'd say... They probably haven't had a bad season to finish second, but they in the end they'll have no silverware for it if it pans out that way. Uh, <laughs> if you if if you told them they'd go this well at the start of the year, they'd have taken it. I think that's true, and, and I was talking to you know my, my uh, very good mate Bill uh, about that. He's an Arsenal man, and and he said, look, oh, I was really pleased that we got kicked out of the Europa stuff because I just thought that you know it'd be a distraction and all this, and we can concentrate on the Premier League. But look. Man City are a very good side. They've been hunting sides down for a long time, and um, and uh, they look like they've got uh, they've looked like they've got they've got enough uh, lead in the pencil to keep them going. Uh, Celtic uh, won the Scottish Premier League. Jack uh, and Coglu now is almost a god um, in in, uh, in Glasgow. Um, uh, well, in parts of Glasgow, not all of it, perhaps. But um, uh, he's done a fantastic job there, hasn't he? Yep. Um, uh, they were going pretty poorly when he arrived um, and uh, he has made them once again the powerhouse of Scottish football. 
I'm too tall. He, he has won almost everywhere he has gone, Ange. He must be on the. He must be on the, uh, the the list of a number of Premier League clubs uh, to to come along and join them. Uh, I'm sure he's. I'm sure his phone's been ringing. Already. Yeah, it should be. I mean, it, um, what I think he. Um, I think he still holds the record for any um, national sporting comp in Australia with Brisbane Roar with 36 wins in a row. Um, he won a couple of titles um, uh, with Fukushima, uh, not Fukushima, um, uh, not, the Fuk- not, and, um, not Fukushima, mate. Um, Don't play uh, soccer there, can't. Not for 50,000 years. Um, uh, in, in Japan, and now he's done the same thing in Scotland. So um, he's clearly got the goods. No, I think he's uh, terrific. And I saw him interviewed after the game. Did you see the game, actually, Jack? There was a lovely little chant sprang out from, uh, from, their, last, uh, from their last game. I did see yeah. that. Yeah. Did you see that? You can shove your coronation up your ass. Mm. So not everyone is pleased to see King Charles III coronated. Um, ugly siege, Jack, on the weekend. Collingwood Footy Club it was the first time they played Sydney, I think, for about 12 years. Yep. In Melbourne? Uh, at, at the MCG, yes. At the MCG, yeah. They probably played, they may well have played them. Uh, at Marvel, but um, but at the G, it's the first time in a long time. It used to be the Collingwood give up a home game and go and play up at uh, Olympic Park, of course, and host the Swans there. That was one of those sort of they did uh, things there. Anyway, we've seen Collingwood uh, beautifully coached. I think they've got a great leader in Darcy Moore. Spoke beautifully at, at the end of the Anzac Day um, game. Uh, clash between Essendon. So they just actually spoke beautifully. Looks like a terrific young bloke. So they're a, a good club, well-led on and off the field. And then, you, then we get the Collingwood supporters, Jack, and booing Buddy Franklin, who's been playing in the AFL. I just want to say so 19 years he's been in the AFL um, and uh, an absolute legend of the game. So what is going on there, Jack? Oh, no idea. You'd have to be there to know that. Well, um, Michael O'Loughlin suggested, who was at the game, uh, suggested that it wasn't uh, it wasn't just a bit of um, uh, melodramatic response; that it was a bit of racism, a la Adam Goods. And uh, I hope that's not the case. He certainly believed that it was. Other people were talking that down. The AFL issued a statement. Collingwood apologised. So the club is in good shapes, in good hands, good coach, good captain, good good on field. Stuff and you just like to think the next time. Well, Buddy, Buddy, I think plays will play if he's available. Will play, I think, round seventeen against Richmond at the G. That may well be his last game at the MCG. Um, and I'd suggest that uh, people should be applauding rather than booing him, Jack. Mm. Yeah, Thanks. I'm not much of a one for, um, uh, for for booing players at the game. Oh, it's it's boorish anyway, isn't it? You know, it's just a boorish way to behave. I, I did watch the game, and Collingwood were too good. It looked to be a very good, a good and even first half, but um, <coughs> Collingwood looked to be too strong in the second half and blew blew uh, Sydney away where they where they shine in the last quarter. Um, and I did notice it was a bit of a low boo early on, and then it just got worse throughout the game. So you know. No, not expecting a lot from Collingwood supporters, Jack, but uh, they can lift their game a little bit here, get some dental work done, try and be like normal people. Um, uh, NRL, Jack, 
I don't know how I can, I can remember having an argument with uh, I was out at Windy Hill once with a, a great Carlton mate, and we were in the in the Essendon members, and they were booing Terry Downer, who was having a dirty day. It wasn't one of TD's best, and um, uh, they, were, they were getting stuck. This is the Essendon crowd getting stuck into Terry Downer, and my right. Carlton mate said, "Look, I'm a Carlton man, but you can't do this. This, this man's a legend of your club, you know. He gave me the two premierships. He's a great player. You don't be booing." <coughs> yeah, who's burying? Who's burying Terry Danaher? Like burying and booing Neil Danaher. You know, I mean, yeah. um, just just a just a just a star as a coach and a human being and a player, of course. Pretty decent cricketer, Jack. Hundred against us as well in the schoolboy stuff. Uh, like to knock it around a bit. Uh, NRL is just one of these competitions. Unlike the AFL, Jack, I just tried to make this point last week, where the AFL seems to have had almost structural issues now where there's always the two sides on the bottom that are pretty much easy to beat for anybody else. And then you've got a sort of top four that really don't get beaten very often by sides below them. In the NRL, anyone can win on any given day. And uh, the Roosters... Uh, have a win, then have a loss. Uh, Parramatta will pop up and have a win. The Raiders couldn't couldn't buy a win early on. Now they can't stop can't stop winning. Um, it's a very very even competition, and who knows how it's going to go. I mean, Penrith last week were beaten um, by the cellar dwellers uh, in West Tigers, and you might say they're easy beats, but they popped up and beat last year's premise. It's, it's, it's a sign of a very healthy competition, Jack, and perhaps something the AFL would love to see in that code. Yeah, I, I think the difficulty to the AFL is that clubs just get themselves into a little bit of a, a pickle with their list management, et cetera, and find that they've yeah. got to uh, uh, almost shut it down and start again. And it's timing. And if you get that Timing wrong on the list management, on that time to basically clear out a few players who've been around for a while. Yeah. Then if you don't do it, and West Coast Eagles is a pretty good example. They yep. sh- probably should have done it around their premiership not long after their premiership. They yes. should have moved a few blokes on, try and trade, uh, you know, and, and, and concentrate on draft where they're just bringing good young players in. Otherwise, it's a long time. They, they, will, they will be cellar dwellers for a fair while, I think, uh, the Eagles, because they did delay their rebuild. Uh, meanwhile, Jack, just a bit of a taste of the cricket. Uh, Manus Labuschagne in excellent nick. Um, and one of his teammates, I forget, I think he's playing for Glamorgan, um, uh, suggested uh, look out England. Uh, Manus is in very good nick. As is, as, is, as is his teammate, Michael Nesak. Another hat-trick the other day. So. Oh, George, yeah, took the hat-trick, yeah. Uh, very happy boy too. And looked like he was doing a fair bit with it too. Um, on, you know, what a traditionally sort of greenish greenish wickets this time of year, early May in well, England. Well, well, the third bloke in the hat-trick helped him out by shouldering arms to a, uh, to a, a, a lovely inswinger. Fair, fair distance, Jack. It, it, he actually sort of – the ball pitched about probably – a sixth or seventh stump and then just took the top of off. So it wasn't a bad nut. I think you're entitled to go, that's not any of the stumps, but it uh, but it actually did. He's a great bowler, isn't he? And uh, and just having He's, that, he's uh, not in the squad, I don't think, is he? Oh God, he can't be far away. Um, uh, 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 that's a good question. I don't think he is because they took one of the younger took one of the younger WA quicks. Anyway, he's, but he's, he's over there. there if they need him. He's, he's over there, there if, if they required need him. and, uh, you know, just a, a wholehearted cricketer. Uh, Marnus Labuschagne and good nick, as I say. Smith, uh, I think, had his first innings. Uh, he's playing seven, and I think it's Sussex, but I could be wrong. 
Uh, and uh, he's also batting a bit with uh, Pujara, who who got who's, who's been making runs for fun in the county competition, Jack. Uh, Smith, yeah, uh, I tell you what, if you were um, uh, if you were a captain the other side, uh, you'd be talking to your bowlers and uh, uh, <laughs> Smith at one do end and Pujara at the other. So just do your best, fellas. You know, just do your best and do the old Keith Miller thing with the field. Just spread out, guys. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> Do your best because uh, once it's going to be very hard to get him out. We're, we're bowling for a run out here, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly right. Pajara, one of the great concentrators, one of the great walls of cricket, like uh, like his predecessor Rahul Dravid, and that uh, takes us out. Unless you've got something weird and wonderful for us, Jack. I do. Um, uh, there are some really odd things about Twitter, but there's some things that I really like about it. This was an American fellow on the coronation. I'm fairly uninterested in the British royals, but find Charles III a poignant figure because he's basically one of those 70-year-old 70, 70 guys you see on the telly driving the Ferrari he wanted his whole life but can only now afford, <laughs> grimly realising he's grown too old to really enjoy it. Um, <laughs> and that Ferrari, Jack, is fuelled by cheese. Fueled, fueled by carrots or something. He's got the, uh, the Aston Martin. And they've converted it in, you know, they, they use the old produce, you know, the cut-off cheese and yeah. stuff like that, and that's, that's how they get the Aston Martin going. He loves it. Do you remember Richard Hines? He used to be on the on the telly all the time, the, the, yeah. the journal? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do follow him on Twitter, I guess, because he's often amusing. I he think. is quite funny for a Collingwood yeah. man. Uh, and uh, he is very much a Collingwood man. He had a, he had a bit to say on the on the booing. He was there, but you can it's worth having a look for that. Um, and he was, this on the coronation, um, uh, and his comment was, no late change for the coronation, William is the sub. <laughs> um, and Ma- Martin Pakula, the, um, the former Victorian Jeremy minister, Martin, yeah, yeah. who obviously follows um, uh, Richard Hines as well, man. he jumped in and said, George, Louis and Charlotte, the travelling emergencies. Um <laughs> And, uh, and Richard came back on and said, yes, Megan has been managed. <laughs> she, she has been, and, and Andrew, to be considered when available, possibly well, no, not even uh, that, not to uh, be considered. Uh, even a with, chap, even a chap called Ken McAlpine jumped in, Andrew failed to make the squad after a disappointing, disappointing <laughs> season so far, being largely unsighted and hasn't raised a sweat. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> rose to sweat. Yes, we get that in again. And, yes, uh, and, uh, and um, some, someone else came in and said, "Megan is out with general soreness." <laughs> very, very nice. What a great way to finish the program. Uh, just we started with uh, King Charles III being coronated, and we ended that way as well. Um, huge week. Um, if uh, my understanding of um, uh, the longevity of uh, the royals is anything to go by, we're looking at uh, we might have a coronation reasonably soon within a decade or so. If we're, we're looking at sort of Edward the Seventh following uh, uh, Queen Victoria's very very long reign, so he'll be around for a while with his cheese driven car. And um, good luck to him. Uh, uh, thank you for your time today, Jack. Uh, go and study the ESG and have a look at it. I think you're being bluffed. I think you're honestly being bluffed. Go and have a look at it. We will talk about that next week. Um, and, well, I've, I've just I've already got already got the phone on. I'm booking in for re-education camp. <laughs> well, you might have to be shipped off for re-education any given time. 
Uh, let me just tell you. We, we, we will wish, do the ESG because it's up. I've got to tell you, it's just a, it's just something. It's a fight over nothing that really just doesn't exist. Yeah, I know. Okay, you, you, you well, I don't, I don't know. All right, okay, yeah, we'll yeah, we'll move yeah, on from yeah. that. I'll, but be, I'll, I'll, talk I'll, about I'll be swilling out pigs out in the west of China somewhere, you know, from my troubles. <laughs> but you'll you'll have a better view of of the world. That's that's important. <laughs> You'll have a better view of the world by then. We just want to thank uh, listeners for joining us. Uh, even while we have a bit of a Barney, we do actually get on very, very well. But uh, that's uh, that's uh, what good podcasting is all about, where we have, where we do a little bit of a stick every now and then. And if uh, we don't look like having one, I'll always start one. Um, so um, so uh, we, we just want, wanted to let our, let our listeners know this is how we roll. Uh, and... We also say if you want to uh, drop us a line and let us know anything you like about the show, anything you'd like us to discuss, any comment that you want to make, please drop us a line. You can get hold of me on Twitter, Jack the Insider. Uh, uh, my DMs are always open. And Jack? Uh, Hongkongjack.substack.com. He'll be just uh, hammering out the ESG stuff uh, during the week too, so keep an eye out for that. Thanks, listeners, and we'll see you later on next week, in fact.